Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Friday, May 26, 2023. I am, if you've been following True North's coverage in Alberta right now, I mean, not right now when I'm recording this, but right now when you're watching this, covering the home stretch of the Alberta provincial election. So we thought we'd do something a little bit differently because we were pre-recording and really delve into a bigger picture issue that I think matters a lot to people in Canada, especially who are consumers of this show and know very well the perils of the mainstream media. But just to give it a bit of a setup here and some context, you may have seen in the course of the National Citizens Inquiry a testimony from one woman, a former employee of where I used to work, Global News, who spoke about the mainstream media pushing an agenda. Take a look. We do things like on the five o'clock news where we would just say, and sadly, another business has shut down due to COVID. And we were not actually holding anyone to account saying, is what we're doing fair? You know, when people are using plexiglass and sitting outside and that, you know, you can go up to the counter and order, but you can't have a waitress come to you or you got a mask, you know, all the things that didn't make any sense. We were just shoving it in your face like it was something you needed to accept rather than questioning is this really making sense for a business owner, for this person's livelihood? You know, we, we, we never stood up for the people. We just, as far as I'm concerned, shoved propaganda in your face. That woman is Anita Krishna, whose outspoken uh, criticism of the COVID era and the COVID regime ultimately cost her her job in the control room at Global News. And then she had a, a very powerful and I think very impactful testimony before the National Citizens Inquiry last week and, and joins us now to expand on that and uh, perhaps delve even further into it. Uh, Anita Krishna, it's wonderful to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Now, you and I were, were just chatting a little bit before the show began, and I, I've mentioned it to my audience, but just so everyone's on the same page, I used to work for that very same company. I did a talk radio show for Chorus, which ended up merging with Global, and uh, the fact that my show was cancelled, I think, says a, a fair bit about the uh, relationship near the end of it. It's also the company that Danielle Smith uh, ultimately walked away from, having increasing issues with the micromanaging of what she was allowed to talk about on her show, uh, and you and I, though, were in very different cases because you weren't even on camera at Global. You weren't even being punished for things you said on air. So what happened? <laughs> That's a very good point. I mean, I've said this many times in other podcasts. I was a technician. I'm a technical director. I press the buttons and make the newscast happen. Um, I, I, And I was just questioning why we were not reporting such basic things to the public, as I've said many times before. But in no way, shape or form was I airing this stuff. I mean, I was not broadcasting my own material. Well, something happened later, which I could talk about. But at the time, I was just asking questions. Like, we are missing pieces of the COVID narrative. Why are we only telling this one side of the story? So it is what do you do in journalism? You ask questions. That's the whole foundation of journalism is to present both sides. And it was quite clear we were not doing that. And I was just asking questions. That's it. 
Yeah, and it was increasingly clear through the COVID era, which I can't really come up with a better name for it, that that all of a sudden that natural skeptical instinct that journalists have or are supposed to have, that contrarian impulse to challenge authority, just vanished. And, and a lot of the early COVID journalism, and, and to some extent maybe you can excuse this uh, in the immediate uh, beginning of this, but a lot of it was just stenography. It was just parroting whatever edict had come down from Teresa Tam or Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford or whoever the uh, Ontario person was at the beginning, the name escapes me. Uh, but but ultimately, that was, I think, what a lot of the early COVID journalism was. Well, a great deal of it could could you could probably argue is parroting, right? With any story, so like if the if the newsroom is going with a certain angle on a car accident or something, if they say five injured and it was caused by a drunk driver, then as all the other newscasts go along, then that's what we report. If we get some information in the newsroom that uh, oh, actually, it wasn't a drunk driver; it was uh, something else caused the accident, then we would update that information. So there is a degree of parroting because you do go with what the general consensus is but this was parroting to the detriment of humanity and that's what we needed to ask what's going on yeah and let me ask about your trajectory here because from my understanding you were a skeptic from i don't know if it was day one but pretty close to day one I was. I, well, I mean, people might laugh and say I was just was my gut instinct, but it was just like, wow, you know, like, you know, when March, when we all went crazy in the beginning of March, spring break is canceled. Kids have to stay home for an extra two weeks. And it was just scaring you and scaring you. And especially I felt they were manipulating this aspect of children. Well, children can get it. So what are you going to do? What are I'm a mother. You were trying to scare mothers. And it didn't seem like a legitimate fear. It seemed like, what are you, what are you, how can we all do in all this? The airlines and the sports teams and all the, and everybody's cracking down the borders. Something's going on. It's too systematic. That's what made me question from the beginning. But, yeah, and yeah. I, it was interesting because I remember it was uh, the March 13th, if I recall, which was a Friday and, and things were starting to brew, but hadn't really gotten to the point where things were canceled. And I remember it was almost a bit of a joke. Like I was ser- I was re- recording a bunch of interviews in Toronto and, you know, it was all that sort of joking like, oh, do we tap elbows instead of shaking hands? And it, there was sort of a, a collegiality to it. There was a it was this strange novelty because it hadn't really started to affect us in the way that it would for the next, you know, two, two and a half, three and, and beyond years. And and I think for, for people in the media, there, there was, a, again, this, OK, do we report on this like we report on a flood or like we report on a wildfire where we're all in this together? It's an emergency. Our job is as a public broadcaster. Or do we start to be journalists? And I, I don't think many really went into that category. I think they, they treated it as disaster journalism and crisis journalism, which uh, I think is inherently deferential. Yeah, I mean, sure. You, what do you what do you mean exactly? You wish that you would have seen more pushback against the narrative? Well, I, look, I, I, I'm just to even put myself out there. I mean, I, I in the early days had the view that I don't know what's going on. I'm not an epidemiologist. I was seeing the photos of, you know, what we're told to be bodies piling up in China, later Iran and, and Italy. Um, and, and I'll admit, I, I wasn't scared. There wasn't a personal fear, but I, I, I didn't go to the, you know, is this really real? I, I sort of took the attitude that when your house is on fire, you... Uh, 
uh, you know, or it looks like it's on fire. You try to treat that before you start to say, well, did someone else cause it? And, and then I think it was, you know, certainly within the first few weeks after two weeks to flatten the curve was proven to be a lie that I started to become a lot, well, not started, I, I started to become entirely intolerant of this, the, the mainstream uh, narrative. And, and I think even though there were things I was personally uh, willing to do, I didn't like that we went to coercion. So to put that into the broader context, I, I think for, for a lot of the mainstream media, for almost all of the mainstream media, that transition never happened. That transition from, you know, accepting the narrative to questioning the narrative still has not happened. Yeah, <laughs> no, and they're not going to admit to it now. What are they going to do now, now that all this information has come out? I mean, I admit that in the beginning when we'd see pictures from Italy or we'd see pictures from China, we were like, oh, okay, so, okay, something's happening. Let's just be cautious. Let's just be careful. But to move full steam ahead into stay at home and self-isolate and flatten the curve, we were doing all that March 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, that whole week we were telling people to social distance. This this um, campaign was all good to go. Every element of this had already almost been structured and they just unleashed it and said, report. That's what it felt like to me. Um, and you're right about coercion. At the point where the truckers stood up and people were going against the mandates, that's the point where you say, hey, the people who are going to take it already took it. So back off. And the fact that they hid medications from people and prevented them from getting better, all the while trying to pretend that you were looking after our health, I didn't like that either. And the fact that they hid that from you, that we at Global News absolutely hid that from you, there's no way we were going to talk about hydroxychloroquine, fluvoxamine, ivermectin, vitamin D, quercetin, all these things we've come to know now. Why would we not tell you that? Don't we care about your health? No, we don't. Let me ask you where you think it comes from, because I, I think when you see a lot of the people now that are really, really fanatical about masks, about, you know, getting the 17th booster, about all of that, uh, these people I, I don't think are evil. I think these people are terrified. I, I think a lot of the people that we—I'm going to qualify this. I, I think a lot of the people are genuinely terrified, and I think it's the media and politicians that have stoked that fear, that they should look at everyone around them as being uh, disease vectors rather than human beings. When you look at the people in your newsroom and in other newsrooms in Canada, I'm curious which camp you think these people fall into. Are, are they control freaks, or are they people that bought into the fear themselves and are trying to pay that forward, and that fear becomes the, the lens through which they view these stories and view the world? I think so. I think you've touched on something there. It's not to say that everybody's evil and conspiring, right? So when people say, oh, you've got all that liberal money. Well, we didn't get the money. Like, we're just the minions that work in the newsroom. Nobody's handing us a check. That is from above. Somebody's subsidies, kickbacks, tax breaks, tax breaks or something. Something else is happening there. So people sometimes would say, oh, well, you got a check and that's why you reported that way. No, no, they didn't. Actually, they didn't. It is what you believe, right? Like, are you really going to believe that you're part of a system of something that's harming people? So when you put your little provincial health officer on the air and she's telling you to do all these things to stay safe, you're probably likely to believe it because it's incomprehensible to believe that there could be another a narrative. It's hard to believe. So I do get that. So they, a lot of people were just probably like, I guess we have to do this to keep safe. 
But but the thing is, you're not allowed to do that when you're a journalist. When you're a journalist, if you hear about a botched investigation at the Wuhan laboratory and one of the guys involved in the investigation, Peter Daszak, actually works at the, the lab with Echo Health Alliance, but he's part of the WHO investigation. Then you see an article that comes out and says, nothing, uh, lab leak unlikely. You have to question that. That is your job. We don't work in a drugstore. We don't work in a, in, in, a, a, in a plumbing company or something like that where we're, we're, where we're allowed to shrug our shoulders and go, well, we don't really know. It is our job to tell the public the truth. So when you hide that truth, you are doing a disservice to the public. All of a sudden, you are not news anymore. What are you? You are a did tool your, for misinformation. Did, did your skepticism of the mainstream media begin with COVID or was this already brewing in you and your experience before we got to March 2020? I have to say I am, I, I am, I'm not any smarter than anyone else. Like I didn't really think anything. I think I'd like, I feel a little bit like Tucker Carlson, you know, you went in and like, just pushed the buttons and that, that was the job. I just went there and did the things. And whenever I saw there was a fire or a mudslide or a boat overturned or whatever, a shooting, we would go out there and try to news gather as normal. And then I'd put it on the air. I never thought we were lying. And I don't think people there thought they were. It's that there's another element to what's going on in the world that we're only just sort of realizing that perhaps there are criminals maybe running things, feeding us information that we didn't really think about before. Like I remember working through the anthrax scare and working through all that kind of stuff. And then when you kind of look a little bit deeper as to who might be behind those things, it's terrifying. It is actually terrifying. I did want to say one thing when I was working in the newsroom, you know, we, you get the, I'm sure you worked on this, the, the ENPS and the AP wires would flash. Yeah, yeah. And some in, in the radio system, they use Burley. They use well, all kinds of so broadcast software. You yeah, it's just, it's just like the, the, like this raw, steady, nonstop stream of, of headlines and these small, yeah, little yeah. nubs of stories. Yeah. Nubs of stories. You'd get your wires, right? So you get the first right through, second right through, mm -hmm. whatever, right? And um, like it might say five dead, Chicago fire. And then you get another update, you know, five dead, two wounded, whatever, right? These are the wires. Yeah, and then right? the next one is, you know, Miley Cyrus gets divorced. And then yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're <laughs> constantly seeing these things and I remember being at work on the weekend and I saw Pfizer approves vaccine for five to 11 year olds and I was like no 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 this can't be right like how can this be right because no matter what you think this isn't even approved by Health Canada this vaccine this Corminati stuff isn't even being made but that's another thing we don't tell you right we just say just shoot it up but anyway when when I saw that for children as you know I was I'm just don't want people to mess with children and pregnant women. Those are my two things, right? Like they can't make the decisions for themselves. And I was like, how can this be? How can this be? And I was starting to say in the newsroom to people, this, how can this be approved, right? And then you just, it's on the wire. So you look like a crazy person. But the, the only, the only, I just only recently found out the AP wires obviously are uh, Reuters own AP. And then the Rothschild family owns Reuters. So I don't know, is this information coming from top down and it's meant to make us report what they want us to? Hmm. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the time when people make accusations of media bias, they're, they're, 
they don't understand the the system and i don't mean that like the system in the big sort of man behind the curtain way i just mean they don't understand the structure and and how it works and you're right you know when a reporter is going out and you know interviewing someone at the scene of a car crash i i don't think the reporter is being necessarily biased i think they got an assignment but i i think often bias is most readily apparent and what are they at and what 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 were they supposed to be at before that car crash came what what are they not covering what are they not focusing on and, and it's not just sides in a story sometimes Sometimes it's stories altogether. I, I mean, just to look at the COVID example, uh, Sweden, we know, fared better on pretty much all of the key pandemic metrics than most uh, countries that did lockdown. Sweden didn't do a lockdown. That's a story that we weren't hearing as a reference point. So when uh, media outlets are telling us that there's only one way to do this, and the questions they were asking when they got really feisty with politicians like Jason Kenney or Aaron O'Toole is, why are you not supporting lockdowns? Why are you not supporting vaccine mandates? Why, like, like the media was really going in and saying, why are you not doing X, Y, Z, as though that's the benchmark by which all these politicians should be acting. And and again, I, I don't think that individual people were, were being fed a script that came down from like, you know, Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates, you know, that filters down to, you know, the local reporter in Peterborough. But I, I do believe that journalism is increasingly attracting a certain type of person. Yes, you're right. I mean, when, when you see um, uh, press conferences... <laughs> You see these softball questions thrown at the people, especially the public health officer. I felt like all the reporters were pretending to ask the tough questions, but they were very supportive of the narrative, right? And they're very mean to people like Daniel Smith and very disrespectful to people that have a different point of view. And I, and you can see this in certain interviews. I talked about this in a speech I gave in the convoy. They had a guy on CTV who was just spoken to so rudely because he supported the convoy. All of a sudden, people had license to act like a total mm, to people. The respect that you would have when you're interviewing someone, I felt like a lot of reporters are not showing that respect. You can hear it in the press scrums when they're asking questions. So rude, so unprofessional now. Um, yeah, but you're right. It's not like we're getting uh, on the wires from Klaus Schwab. It just made me think the Reuters, the AP, where is that information coming from specifically with COVID? Because with COVID, they, this, they have penetrated everything. You know what I mean? They have, they, they have come in and now all of a sudden we see all our institutions are not backing us up. All the lawsuits, all this, all that, all the people trying so hard to get on with their lives and have some justice in their lives. There's big forces squashing them down. So there's big forces behind news. Yeah, and I think that there is a, an additional dimension to that that's always troubled me, which, which is just the increasing targeting of certain journalists. So we see this in Canada right now, where you've got outlets that are hiring a climate change reporter and a climate change bureau, and you've got government grant money towards this. And it's like, if you invest money in people covering a very politically charged issue like that, you know that their job is to advance one particular narrative about it. Again, their approach is not to say, hmm, is all of the so-called scientific consensus about uh, about climate change really there? Is uh, Are humans actually causing it? No, they're going in with an agenda, which is to say that, yes, we're killing the world. Why are politicians not doing more? Why are we not getting taxed more? Why are we doing that? And, and there you have, I think, a fairly brazen uh, brazen way that the media is, by its design and by its structure, pushing a narrative. 
Yes, they are pushing a narrative now. And I would just caution people to be very uh, skeptical and, and look for themselves when they're hearing this type of thing. It, it seems to be all part of an agenda. You really, your basic reporting is you get one side, you get the other, you link it somehow, you tell a story, you leave it there for the viewer to decide. If you are getting pushed you are now made to feel guilty for existing. So if you take a hot shower, fly on a plane and drive a car, well, you're killing the world. No, you're not. It's the economic policies and the, the, all the back underhanded deals that are going on that are driving your gas prices the way they are. Your gas is not supposed to be $2 a liter and gas is not bad. And so don't let anybody manipulate you into thinking that your carbon footprint. Why doesn't why don't our bosses look at their own carbon footprint? You know, stop flying around all over the damn place. You know, you know, it's like you are now made to feel guilty. And you, you, what they do is make the common person feel like the criminal. Oh, you're killing grandma. Oh, you're carbon footprint. Oh, you're not like Mr. Environmental. We are just living our lives. We're not wrecking the earth here. You know, I don't know. No, you're right. I mean, that when I was in Davos covering the, the World Economic Forum there, there was one day where I was, you know, uh, running late because I was in my Uber and I was stuck behind all the Mercedes and Beamer limos. Uh, and then I finally get to Davos just in time for the session on why we all need to use electric cars and uh, watch our carbon footprint. And I'm like, well, hang on. <laughs> why was I stuck in traffic of all you guys uh, getting here with this? Uh, just to talk about kind of the reckoning of this for a moment. You mentioned something in your, your Substack this week uh, that I wanted to ask you about. You say, I wanted to say at this point, if you are still walking around clueless as to the harms that have been done in society, my sympathy for you has run out. And I, that, that actually I found quite striking because I've always taken the view or tried to take the view that, you know, it's better to show up late to the party than to not come at all. And, I, you know, for example, Rupa Subramanya, a colleague of mine at True North, uh, was a supporter of vaccine mandates in August of 2021. But by February of 2022, she was one of the leading voices talking about the harms of vaccine mandates and covering the, the trucker convoy. And uh, there are other people as well that, you know, might have bought into the panic early on and eventually came around. So when did your sympathy end? And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot by plucking out one quote, and I, I think it's a fair enough position. But, but when did that end? When do you think you no longer have an excuse to have uh, been in the dark? You don't have an excuse to be in the dark if you are, an, you are a journalist. So if you are working in the newsroom, I'm sorry, you can't sit there and go, I didn't know, I'm sorry. You know, like, and I, and I understand that um, things can come to you late. Just because you are a journalist doesn't mean that you know everything. But you have an obligation if you work in a newsroom or for a news organization to look into the other side rather than poo-poo it and really management over at Global mm -hmm. squashed it. When I say my sympathy for you had run out, I think I, w I wrote that. I remember when I wrote that, I had just watched like so much of the National Citizens Inquiry and it was testimony after testimony and story after story. But prior to that, last year I'd worked on the citizens hearing also. So I had heard from Oh, God, person after person, somebody's just trying to watch their kid play hockey and they were thrown out by uh, cops, you know, like they were a criminal. And um, when we heard from priests, so I'm done. My sympathy for you has run out. If you want to live in this ignorance and go, oh, he took our shots. I don't know. I'm tired of that because I have friends like that. They're like, we don't, we don't really know. It's, we haven't heard anything. Why haven't you heard anything? 
because they don't they want to see it on the news coming from your polished global news set or ctv set they're not going to go watch rumble videos and that's the problem like that's how we got in this mess in the first place if you don't do your own due diligence and start looking now by now you know something's wrong so don't sit there and pretend you don't know now yeah, and I think that you are right about that. And that's been my fear with the National Citizens Inquiry. I think a lot of the testimony that we've heard has been incredibly evocative. It's been incredibly heartfelt. But, you know, in my view, from an independent media perspective, these stories we've already been telling, you know, we've already been paying attention. So this isn't new information for a lot of us. And the people that it is new information for are not the ones watching it. They're not the ones who are going to read the report because it isn't coming from, you know, the so-called official channels, you know, capital M, capital S, capital M. So I'm wondering if you have any ideas for how to break through that log jam. And I, I mean, I always viewed talk radio as being a very useful platform because it kind of straddled the mainstream media, independent media divide. You could always get away with being a bit more contrarian and a bit more uh, heterodox on talk radio until, you know, Global decided you couldn't. And until uh, talk radio became, you know, the way you champion wokeness, uh, which the audience doesn't like, which is why the numbers are are in the toilet. And, and, you know, I do a podcast, I can talk about whatever I want. I realize that the majority of my audience already resonates with what I'm talking about in in some way. And that doesn't mean I'm preaching to the choir, but I I fear the same as for the inquiry here, where uh, the people that need to see this aren't the ones watching it. So what can you do about that? (laughs) That's the question of the century, isn't it? That the people who are watching the National Citizens Inquiry and reading True North and listening to all your podcasts and people who even listen to me are people interested with they're all they already know they're already with us now how do we break that other side i don't know maybe you have an idea too but it's like why don't we call the anchors and and producers that we used to work with and say please if you believed in everything you were talking about and telling us please come and sit down and talk to us and we'll shoot it live to tape no edits let's go let's talk it the time is now so when Maybe that's how you break the echo chamber, I suppose, is to say, okay, I'm going to sit down with somebody from the mainstream. You were my friends once and you, you threw me out of the building, right? So that, I literally was thrown out of that building. But anyway, um, for worrying about miscarriages, how dare I? You know what I mean? So why, let's invite them. Let's invite them right now. So I invite any anchor, any producer, Uh, that I used to work with, any assignment editor, the news director, anybody in charge of your editorial content in a newscast to come and sit down and tell me why you suppressed information on hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Just tell me why. Like, show me some evidence. Maybe show me some stuff on masking that why you think it works. Show me some studies. Because part of my, in my termination letter was like, Anita, you didn't follow mask protocol. Well, I'm in a... (laughs) I'm, I was in a room with plexiglass in between me, a wall of plexiglass between me and the other guy. It's like, and I'm drinking water. I'm not, it's, this is three years later, right? Come and show me some scientific evidence of transmission. Come to the table with your facts. If you people at Global News hammered us with facts for three years telling us what to do, you better back that up. So come and talk to me. So let's talk. So I'm inviting you. I'll find a studio. I'm inviting you. Come on. I, 
I, I'm glad, well, I hope someone takes you up on that, but I, I just <laughs> want to talk about the mask mandate at Global for a moment, because okay. uh, this is actually a, a particularly concerning thing. And, and we've seen it in courtrooms where uh, a court, which may have to adjudicate on a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate at some point, has as a, an institution a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate. So, you know, how can you go to an institution and get a fair hearing if you're saying, I think mask mandates are wrong when <laughs> the very courthouse has decided anyone who's here, anyone who's working here needs to wear a mask. And I think the media is very similar on this. So how motivated is Global going to be to report on mask mandates in a critical way when they're forcing their employees to adhere to one? And uh, when there's a vaccine mandate that applies across the board to federally regulated industries. And, and, and this is the stuff that you don't necessarily see as a member of an audience, because, you know, once you're on camera, COVID doesn't actually get you. So you can take your mask off when the camera's on uh, and, uh, and, and you're safe. But it's like sitting down at a restaurant. But, but people need to realize, yeah, the, these outlets are not just observant observers of this. They are actors in this. Yes, I mean, they had to push those rules, too. They had to nag us about vaccines and they had to nag us about wearing the mask and stuff all the time. So where how do they get away with this stuff where they don't they are not responsible for saying, OK, here's your study. And this is um, how rates of transmission are occurring in the workplace. So this is why you need to wear it. Come and show me that if these people do not come to the table with that evidence and you just hear crickets, then that says a lot. You should be able to back up everything you forced us to do. And in this province, in British Columbia, you know, our healthcare workers are still not back to work unless they're jabbed. So by now, is there somebody that doesn't know that this didn't work? And that this is a very dangerous product? So what is our government doing here? You know, we're sending people across the border for their health care because we've decided to not hire these people back. But anyway, any any of what I've spoken about, if somebody at Global would like to contest it, then come and contest it, contest it. And maybe the people who need to watch these things who aren't watching might tune into something like that. Did you get after your termination and, and since the quiet support from your colleagues, the, you know, I'm on your side, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Or, or did they kind of just disown you once you were out that door? Most people disown me. A couple of people said goodbye uh, on Facebook. I could tell you stories about those two people too. Uh, most people just pretended I never existed, although I've not heard from them. So one of my friends who works at the CBC is like, Anita, they're okay with that. They're okay with throwing you out on your ass with no severance, no EI. I am a mother. I have to pay my own bills and stuff like that. They're okay with that. They're just okay with that because it wasn't them. Thank God it was Anita. It's not you. Like, it's kind of true, right? So all those faces that you see on TV, I've not heard from any of these people. You know, like, you don't even say, how are you? I'm sorry that that happened. Really, I, let me do something to make it better. They're all quiet as a mouse. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very disgusting because one of the guys that threw me out of the building, he drove over to throw me out of the building. And I remember he was just like, get out, get out. You know, like, to me, right? Uh, totally bullied me. And... Um, the reason I don't like this is because, well, many reasons, but I had told him months ago, I showed him some studies from the British Medical Journal saying that this this is like a drug, like this is really not going to be safe for people. It's going to wreck your immune system. 
So what is it about these people that they don't sit there and go, oh my God, yeah, we're hurting people. They're like, shut up and get out. And that's what he did. And he was, who told me this story. I went to the movies with my wife and we had to show the young man there our vaccine passport. And this is what we have to do to keep everybody safe. And I said, no, you don't. You don't want to live in a society where you are doing that. You, th that is not the way we want society to be. And there's no scientific backing for why you are doing that either. You know, just, just, but he, he didn't like that. And so I think he was happy to come throw me out. <laughs> I just, just. Well, I, I mean, to, to be, to be challenged is difficult for people, especially when, to go back to how we started off with this, when accepting what is being put before them doesn't just mean accepting that, but it also means unraveling a lot of your previous conceptions about things. And, and again, I mean, I don't want to go down some conspiratorial rabbit hole, but it's like, you know, if you're told that X is a, a fact that has been held from you, uh, you don't just have to believe in that fact when you get it you also have to then start questioning why was it held back who didn't want to talk about that who was uh who benefited from it and it's very difficult for people to completely disentangle what may be years of investment in a particular belief system and i, I think that's why to to go back again to how we started off uh with the last three plus years uh, everyone is path committed now uh, so the idea of saying i was wrong means you have to say you're wrong about a lot of things along the way. Mm -hmm. And it's too hard. I don't think it, and, and the consequences are too great for them to sit there and go, oh, we really screwed up about this medication and the children and the masking and the distancing and the shutting down of businesses and the how kids have developmental problems because they've been watching like little toddlers. Oh, sorry. What are they going to say now? Sorry, we did that. We were worried about your health too much for them. Well, I would encourage people to go and, and check out uh, Anita Krishna's testimony before the National Citizens Inquiry. You can also catch her show on YouTube while it lasts and rumble when it eventually gets uh, vaporized for being a little too honest uh, by YouTube. I'm even worried about this one now. You've, you've said all the words that trigger the algorithm, so we'll see. I know, I know. That's why I'm trying to have like a life on YouTube, but it's very hard. So I just go to rumble and we'll see what happens with rumble. But you can find me on rumble too, so. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Anita Krishna, thank you for... Uh, taking the stand that you did and for coming on with us today. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Andrew. Have a lovely day. That does it for us for today. Hope you have a great weekend. Do keep up with True North Alberta election coverage over at TNC.news and also Monday night, a live election night results show featuring yours truly and a great cast of characters, including, of course, Rachel Emanuel and lots of others to shine the light on what's happening and bring you the results in real time as we find out what's happening in the great uh, Smith versus Notley standoff. So uh, that's something we have to look forward to Monday and then the Andrew Lawton show to break down the results. Uh, I don't, hopefully we'll be able to do a show Tuesday. I'm still uh, trying to sort out some logistics and travel arrangements there. But all that aside, have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.